Well, it is certainly a privilege to be here tonight, and I want to express my gratitude for the chance to get to be here and to teach God's Word as I've been studying it and learning for myself. It's a great opportunity, a great responsibility, and I'm excited for what God's doing here um, through hearing what Adam and, and David have been telling me. Um, it's exciting to see God's grace at work in a church. From us, it's a couple hundred miles uh, to hear of other churches across the country who are having the pulpits filled by men who love God's Word, and the seats filled with people who love to hear God's Word is exciting. And uh, we're encouraged by that, and we're encouraged by the work of God's grace in this church. And uh, even tonight, just a chance to get to to be part of that and to be used by God and, and to look at His Word tonight as we study it. So I appreciate the even just a chance to be with you guys tonight. I certainly count it a great opportunity. And we will be in Ephesians 5, as it was mentioned. I don't know if you guys are somewhat like me. If I see the passage written down, I like to sneak ahead and, and look to see if I can figure out where he's going, where the, where the teacher's going, and what to expect that night. I don't know if you guys have done that today or even just in the last couple minutes. But that's where we'll be. We'll look at the first six verses, actually, uh, tonight. Now, I don't know if I'm completely unique in this. Um, I've never met anyone that, that does this. You could ask my wife. She could attest to this fact. But every year or so, maybe a couple years, it just depends on, on when the mood strikes me. But I completely change my handwriting. Um, and I don't mean from going kind of slanted to not slanted or something like that. I mean from really slanted cursive to straight up and down all capitals to slanting the wrong way and just printing all lowercase or whatever. I don't know if that's a testament to ADHD or some other problem that's a lot deeper than that. I don't know what that means about me, but that's what I do. And you can ask Kristen every now and then. It's just completely different. If you look at notes that I've had throughout college or, or seminary or just writing stuff, it's all over the map. And I was just thinking back to when we first start to learn how to write. I don't know if it's exactly the same as it was when I was growing up now or, or exactly how they teach them, but essentially it's, it's somewhat the same. And for me, I remember in, in kindergarten and then in the few years that followed that, we actually had a penmanship class or a handwriting class, and you get graded on how well you can write and if you follow directions and if you do things right. And, and I just remember having a line that would have you know one letter at the beginning, and that would be you know whatever, W. And the first W would be, a big black bold W, exactly how you're supposed to write it. And the next one would be slightly off color, just maybe gray or something, and you're supposed to trace right over top of that. And then the next W would be slightly gray, and the last part would be a dotted line or something that you have to fill in. And then the rest of it would be blank, and, and that was for you to, to write down those Ws. And usually by halfway through, it looks a little bit like a W, barely legible, and then by the end, it looks like some sort of Egyptian hieroglyphics or something, a language that the, the world has never seen yet. But I just remember going through that and, and being frustrated because I hated cursive anyway. I didn't understand who in the world would use cursive. I guess looking back, any, any style is open to me now, fair game. But as we think about the handwriting or, or however many different things that as we grow up, we start to imitate what we see. And just like you, you look down and you trace over uh, whatever it is, a W or 
as we're learning to write. Tonight we're giving, given certainly a much more serious command and a much more serious matter to imitate. And we are to be, we are called to be, imitators of God. Before we look at God's word, let's pray one more time that his spirit would be with us tonight. God, you are our Father and our Savior and our guide. And without you, whatever we do here is in vain and it is empty. I pray tonight, even as we sung, we sang earlier, that as we look at your word, we understand that your word is truth and your word reveals you to us. I pray tonight that you would allow us to have no other distractions in our mind and that your word would be clear, that our hearts would be enlightened by your spirit, and that we would understand what you have for us in these verses. Lord, I pray that you would allow me to be clear in my thoughts and that I would be able to be put aside that your word would stand powerful and that we would see who you are and what you expect from us tonight. Thank you for your word in your name. Amen. Let's read chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an adulterer, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Now, right off the bat, Paul tells us, be imitators of God. But right before that, we have one word, therefore. And you guys have probably heard it before, and I don't want to be completely trite, but understanding what that therefore is therefore, what does it refer to? And it's building on all of Paul's previous chapters, what he's talking about in Ephesians. And chapters 1 through 3, I, we don't have time tonight to really delve into what is there, but there's, there's a great amount of detail and care that Paul puts in to explaining the glorious gospel of Christ and explaining how there is no part in our salvation that is of us. That before the foundation of the world, God set a plan forth that would save mankind, that would save those Christians that he was choosing before, before we were ever even created, before the first man was ever created. And he goes through the glory of, of Christ's plan and how Christ, through his blood on the cross, was able to redeem us how he quickened our hearts, how we were dead to him, how we were dead in our sin, how we hated this God. And then in chapter, excuse me, chapter 4, Paul turns a corner and he says, Therefore, walk worthy of this calling. Because you were called with so great a salvation from such a great God, your responsibility is to walk worthy of that calling. And even understanding that, that this doesn't mean 
This can't mean that we are to repay God or somehow pay back what God has done for us. There's, there's no way to do that. It is an impossibility. Just as it is impossible for us to save ourselves or to have any part in our salvation, it is impossible for us to repay God. Paul says, rather, walk worthy of that calling. And then in chapter 5, where we're at tonight, he goes even further and he says, walk in love. Or, as he just starts out in, in, in verse 1, be an imitator of God. Now, this may go without saying, and it's something that's not hard to understand, but to imitate something, you have to know who that is or what that is to imitate it. I can't draw a W when I was in first grade without ever having seen a W before. Much like I can't imitate a God who I don't know. And it's not enough for us to come on on Sunday night or or on a Wednesday night, or to study together with some friends. This is a a knowledge that is intimate and that is personal. That imitating God comes from an overflowing heart that is full of what God has done for you. A relationship with Him that is a walk that changes your whole lifestyle. It's not that I come in on Sunday morning and am different because I'm in church than throughout the rest of the week. And my walk is not different one day to the next. This imitation comes from knowing God, knowing the Christ who has saved me, knowing of that glorious grace that before the foundation of the earth chose to have this as God's plan, that this would be his redemptive work. So being an imitator of God, you've got to know God. It's the first step. There is no way to please God by imitating him if we have no understanding of that God. And it must be the right understanding. This is not an imitation of a God that we fit into a box that neatly fits into our lives. This is revolutionary. This is something that comes from within working out in our lives. This is not sitting back and saying, well, you have your God and you worship God how you want to worship God. And I worship God how I want to. Or I lead my life how I want to. God says, imitate me. And the only way to do that is to know God through his word. To know the God of the word. So how can we be imitators of God? It says, be imitators of God as beloved children. And again, not a concept that's completely lost on us. And my wife and I, I just became parents this in this last year, and our daughter Bailey is uh, actually eight months tomorrow, and she's just getting to that point where she's starting to do things that she sees other people do, or other babies do, or she starts to imitate sounds that we make for her. And just recently, I think it's cute, but I think everything she does is cute, so I may be biased, but one of the cutest things I think she does is she'll growl. She says, Baba, she growls. And now she, she spits. So those are the th- three things that, that we've taught her so far. And sometimes it gets reversed and, and we start imitating her and trying to make gaga noises or whatever she's doing to entertain ourselves or to entertain her. But it, this concept is not a concept that's totally lost on us. That as a child imitates what he sees in his father or his mother, so we are to imitate 
our Heavenly Father. And so much more as we understand, when we're understanding our God, how much more glorious that imitation is. How much more pure and holy that imitation is than for our daughter or for for your sons or daughters to imitate you. How glorious is the imitation of God's children, of him. Now what does that look like? What does the imitation of God look like? We have a call, which is to imitate God. That call is to walk in love. Verse 2 says, Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. To imitate God is to walk in love as Christ loved us. Those two statements are parable or are parallel. To be an imitator of God and to walk in love. So what is Christ's love? What is his example to us? And certainly looking throughout even Ephesians or throughout the New Testament, even going back to the Old Testament, understanding what that love looks like. That there's there's many facets of God's love. That it's first off pure and holy and it's just, it's merciful, it's compassionate, it's forgiving. And even just in, in the end of chapter 4 there, we're called to be forgiving as God and Christ forgave you. That if God has forgiven you and you understand his forgiveness for the great sin that you've, you've committed, how can you do anything else to anyone else? How can you hold any grudge? If every sin and every offense that you've ever committed before a holy God has been forgiven you. It's just one facet. And and we look back on, on God's unrestrained and unconditional love for sinners. How it wasn't based on their merit or how much they loved him back. Now it's easy for me to love my wife or it's easy and natural for me to love my daughter. But how hard is it to love someone who hates me. It's easy for me to love Kristen because she loves me back, because she does things for me. It's easy for me to love my daughter because she's cute, she's lovable, and she's mine. But how hard is it for me to love someone who hates my God or who hates everything that I stand for? Or how hard is it for me to love someone who just annoys me or who just gets on my nerves or just rubs me the wrong way or gets under my skin? The love of Christ shown to us should revolutionize our love for others. But all this, all these facets of of Christ's love, and we could spend days or, or weeks looking at examples of Christ's love, Paul points us to one specifically. In this passage, he says, Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Paul says here, imitate God by loving like Christ loved, specifically in self-sacrificial love. Let this be the, the test of how you know you are walking in love, of how you know you are being an imitator of God if your love is self-sacrificial. Now this should be a revolutionary concept as, as well. When you think of someone who does not love you, is your love going so far to sacrifice yourself 
your desires, your wants and needs for someone else who doesn't love you back. Obviously, Christ is the supreme example of self-sacrificial love, that he gave his life for those who could give him nothing in return. Christ didn't need us to be Christians. Christ didn't need me to serve him. There wasn't anything I could offer him. His love was completely self-sacrificial, knowing, first off, that I hated him, that I wanted nothing to do with him, and that I was sprinting as fast as I could towards hell and away from him. And yet his redemptive plan in my life and in your lives was to have Christ sacrifice his life in love for us, knowing that we hated him, and knowing that we offered him nothing that he would not do in our lives. That everything I can do for Christ, he is doing through me. That any service or any sacrifice or any honor that I bring him is only his grace in my life. So as we imitate God, as we look at Christ's love, we understand that his love is self-sacrificial as he prayed to his Father and our Father, not my will be done, but yours. He set aside his will. He set aside his desires to obey God's will, to obey the Father's will, to obey the plan that God had set forth before the world began. And are we willing to do that? Are we willing to set aside our desires and our wants for others, for the sake of Christ, to imitate the love of Christ. So verses 1 and 2 give us that call, but Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on to verse 3, and we we have the corruption. Verse 3 says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness, or maybe your, your version says greed there, must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Here's an example that Paul gives of the complete opposite of sacrificial love, of true love that looks like Christ, and that is love of self. And here's three ways that he says in your conduct, if this is how you are, your pattern of your life, if this is how you are marked, this is the complete opposite of what I am calling you to do. He says immorality sexual immorality, any sexual perversion outside of marriage. Impurity is any, any moral impurity that extends into any personal uh, effect in our lives. So, so he gives us two examples of external outworkings of self-love. And then he turns and says, or covetousness, or greed. Or later, it even explains it there in chapter or in verse five that this is idolatry, loving anything or anyone else above God, the opposite of moderation, saying that I will fulfill whatever desire I have, no matter what, and I will fulfill it until I am satisfied, or until I feel satisfied, or until I want no more. 
Paul says this is the exact opposite of what Christ did for us, of Christ's example of love. That greed, covetousness, putting my desire before anything else is a proof that I am not imitating God. He says, let, not, let these things not even be named among you as is fitting as saints. He says, let this pattern of selfish love be so far from you that it's not even associated with you. Let this church, Christ's body, that he gave himself for, let this church be such an example of Christ's love that these things can't even be associated with us. That it just doesn't make sense. As a Christian, I should be so far from greed and from want of of satisfying myself in any way that it doesn't even make sense to associate that with me. This is the opposite of God's love, of Christ's love. Verse 4 says, "Let there." he goes further into speech, let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk, excuse me, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. It goes from your conduct to your speech and understanding that this speech is only a revelation of something that's deeper. Paul's not calling here to say, just be careful about what you say. And understanding that your speech comes from something deeper. It comes from your heart. So if I, if I claim to be a Christian, if I claim to be showing Christ's love, and constantly I'm finding filthiness in my talk, or I'm finding, you know, uh, the joking, the crude joking that he's talking about here is joking that's going too far, joking that's out of place. That if this is the filthiness that, that makes up who I am, Again, and it's an example of loving myself and not loving others, not loving as Christ gave us the example. One of my professors in college challenged my, my class, who was studying, the whole class was studying to be preachers. So it, it's supposed to be guys who are serious about their walk with Christ, guys who would certainly all make professions of faith. He challenged us to go 24 hours without saying anything that would be dishonoring to God and to evaluate what you're saying, to think back on the last hour or the last two hours or before you go to bed that night, before you come back to class the next day, evaluate, study your life through what you're saying. And there were guys who didn't make it out of the back of the classroom before they were complaining about their next class or their next teacher or about something that had happened the silly talk or the the crude joking. He said he'd been there for years and he hadn't had one guy that was able to make it 24 hours without saying there wasn't at least one thing that I said that disgraced God and that brought down God's honor in my life. And I think sometimes we look at Christ's love and we say, I'm a loving person, I must have Christ's love. That overall I would consider myself a loving person. But when we dig deeper and we start to look at what Paul really says is an example of Christ's love, if we were to start to evaluate our conduct, our greed, our covetousness, certainly if we were to start to evaluate our speech, 
how long do we go before we say something that is dishonoring to Christ? But he says the opposite of this in speech is to give thanksgiving. Again, to know God, to be fellowshipping with God, is a complete change in our life. And that should produce a praise in our hearts that can't stop but bubble over into what we say. That the most natural thing should be for us to praise our God, to thank our God. And this isn't some cookie-cutter sort of response that you have when somebody says, hey, how are you doing? And the first thing out of your mouth, because you've taught yourself that I should say this, is, well, praise God. I lost both arms today, but praise God, I'm doing great other than that. It's not some sort of, you you can teach a four-year-old to say something like that. This has to come from your heart. And I can't tell just to look at you if you say, thank God for what he's doing in my life. I can't say, well, you didn't mean that. You know what you mean. You understand if you're giving praise to God, if your heart is thankful because you know and are constantly reminded of what God is doing in your life. That Paul, this whole passage is pointing back to the first three chapters where he's saying, this is why we walk like this. This is why we love like this. Because of the gospel. It's because of what Christ has done in your life, what Christ is doing in your life. And even the wording, the the verbs that Paul's using is something that's saying, this isn't something that starts here and stopped. It's not, not an action that's completed all of this that he's explaining for us to be doing should, something, should be something that's going on in our lives, a process that constantly we're going back and reminding ourselves what God looks like, what Christ's love is in our life. I'm afraid so, so many times the opposite is true, even of true Christians, that our lives are so filled with other things that Unfortunately, the thankfulness for the grace of God is not evident that instead of praise for God, there's often those things that are dishonoring to God. That he says, don't let these things be named among you. Paul goes on in in verse 5 to give us the consequences. That he says, this is very serious. This is not optional. Paul says in in verse 5, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And even just as we learned this morning, as we were studying in in Matthew, that the glorious kingdom of God is something that, that is to be greatly looked forward to, a time when we will be free from our sin as Christians and be able to see God reign in His fullness. The warning here that Paul gives is extremely serious if you understand what the kingdom of God is. This is separation from God forever. If verses 3 and 4 are a testimony of what your life looks like, Paul says those people have one end. And that is separation from God. And they're currently separate from God. He's saying, if you are not an imitator of God, if you do not have this love that Christ has, if you are not walking in love, 
then you are separate from God. And one day you will be eternally separated from God. That you will have no part in God's kingdom. Paul's saying it's not like, like we had mentioned earlier, that someone can say, you have your God, I have my God, or you worship your God in your way, and I call him the same God, but mine's just a little bit different, or maybe my walk looks a little different. My life is different from yours. But in the end, it's all going to get sorted out. Paul says, no, it's really clear. You're doing one or you're doing the other. You're an imitator of God or you're separate from God. And he goes on in verse 6 to even further explain it, that it's not just separation from God. He says, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. It's not just separation from God. It's the wrath of God. You are constantly incurring more wrath from God on your life. And Paul says you're one or the other. You're either a beloved child of God in verse 1 who is imitating Christ's love or you are a child, a son of disobedience who is incurring God's wrath daily on your life. So this call to walk in love, this call to be an imitator of God is not something that Paul casually says and this should be part of your life as a Christian. Or this could be, this is a good thing. You should look into this. Paul says it's one or the other, that you are imitating God or you are a son of disobedience. And for Paul, he understood that it's not a Sunday only, or for him a Saturday only, but it's not a one day a week religion. It's a walk. I am walking in love or I am incurring God's wrath. I am storing up God's wrath for me. So our challenge tonight for Christians and and non-Christians alike to evaluate your life because it's one or the other. And there's no middle ground, there's no, you know, subverse in between these two that that makes there room for some sort of weird in between stage where I'm growing, I don't really know if, you know, I really love Christ or you're either loving Christ and imitating God or you're not. For Christians, tonight, are, are you walking in love? Are you being an imitator of God? Do you know God? Is your life so full of His grace that you can't help but spew forth thanksgiving and spew forth praise? Or is your life more marked by verses 3 and 4 of greed and self-love? And are these things that you look at your life and say, I'm, I'm constantly involved in this. That if I evaluate my life, I'm loving myself much more than I'm loving my God. And certainly understanding the end of that is separation from God and incurring God's wrath. So our challenge tonight is not just to evaluate our lives, but as Christians, to be constantly renewing our knowledge and our personal walk with God that we can understand what it means to be an imitator of God. So we can evaluate our walk, as Paul calls us to, to walk in love as Christ sacrificed himself for us, 
an offering to God. 